Did you all have a great week? Everybody feeling better today? It's good to see twice the number of people in church today as we had last week. Everybody was sick and coughing, and they thought he was the only one, but it was like this two front two rows. That was it. Everybody was sick and tired, and I don't know if they were sick and tired of me or just sick. Easy. I know where you live. We are glad you're all here with us today. We're going to finish up our series on how we are made for the mission of God. And today specifically talk about not going it alone. Not going alone on our journey that God has got us on. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I don't go alone. I come to church every Sunday. I'm in here. I come to Sunday school. I go to Bible studies. I don't do life alone. I'm in here. That's not quite the alone we're talking about. We'll get to that in a second. But as we talk about the mission of our church and how healthy our church is and what we should be a part of in being engaged in the mission of God, we have asked an organization called Church Health Strategies here locally to help us identify some key areas in our church. And this is not part of my message, this is free. Um, We've asked this, this organization here locally, they're based out of Longmont, to help us identify some areas in our church that are unhealthy, sickly, and what areas in our church that we are doing a good job at. And so they have, are going to come in about a month and a half, I think, the 22nd, 23rd of March, 24th of March. I want you to put those dates on your calendar. Uh, they're going to want to talk to a bunch of us in this room. And those who are still sick today, they're going to want to talk to as many as possible uh, on a Thursday and a Friday, then come back on a Saturday and do a, a big training session for anybody who can come on that 23rd, I believe, of March. And then they're going to be presenting before the whole church on the 24th. With all their findings of what we have been done a great job at as a church and what we need to work on and how we can move forward in reaching our community really becoming a part of the mission of God and what he's called us to do. So with that in mind, on the back table this morning, there is a copy of a survey. You don't have to take the survey with you. This is a paper copy for people like Rich who don't, have, who don't get on the Internet. I know you do. But I, and there's a, this is just a paper copy. If you want to take a paper copy, you're more than welcome to. But on here, there is a link. So write down this link. I'll, I'll send it out to the, to the email list this week as well. And just every, not every family, but every person, um, I think 16 and older in a family. It takes about 30 minutes to go through the survey. It's 115 some odd questions. Most of them are true and false. Some of them are, is your church good at this? Is your church church strongly agree, moderately agree, strongly disagree, moderately disagree on different areas? And just to, they're going to compile all this information. This is what you think. This is, we want to know what you feel. It's totally anonymous, so you can feel free to say what you want about me. Because I know where you live. It's totally anonymous, so feel free to share with us what you're feeling and what you think we need to work on. We need to have this back. The survey needs to be completed online by Monday, March 11th. Okay, so if it only takes about 30 minutes, and if you, if you choose, you don't want to do it online, you don't want to get online to do it, feel free to take a paper copy and then bring it here, and then we will, uh, in the church office, we will input those, that information into the system for you, okay? Um, 
If you have any questions about that, you can see myself, see Dave, see Mark afterwards, one of the three of us. We sat here with the, with, with the gentleman who's going to come and present to us a couple weeks ago, he, and so we can answer any questions you may have, okay? I just wanted to bring that up so that you are well aware of it. Please help us out with that as we look forward to com- continuing on with the mission of God and getting stronger in our, as a church, as the body of Christ. Don't go it alone. We start off this whole series back in January talking about we were each made to participate in the mission of God. We're not made to just go through life, living life, just existing, eating food, getting fat, exercising, eating food, getting fat, exercising, the cycle that we all tend to go through. And as you get older, we eat less food and get fatter quicker, right? We all do. We are made to participate in the mission of God. We have a message that we're to communicate. We, we know, we talked about who we're to go to. Those who are within those five spheres of our influence, wherever you workshop, eat, play, and live. We talked about the importance of being available and being intentional in reaching our community. And why is that so important? Because our mission is God's mission. It's not just the mission of Mount States Baptist Church. Our mission is, was the same mission that God had from the very beginning. To reach out into the communities, to reach out into the world, to reach out into those areas, to those people that God loves so desperately. And he wants to make an impact in people's lives. But he's chosen to use us. As weird as that sounds... When God is the God who created the world with just a word, let there be light, let there be fish, let there be trees, let there be man, let there be woman. As man, the God of the universe who just spoke those things into his existence, and he could totally radically transform this world and our community with just a word, chooses to use creatures like us to participate in his work. And it's not limited to pastors, deacons, missionaries, their families. It's for all of us. No matter what your age, no matter what, how long you've been a believer, no, long, no matter what your education level, no matter, as Dave pointed out, how little hair you have this morning, it is for all of us. We don't have an excuse. If you name the name of Christ and you say, I am a believer... I have received Christ. He has radically transformed me, freed me from my sins, from the penalty of my sins. I don't have a choice but to participate in the mission of God. Now, does that mean we have to be out there on the street corners every weekend passing out tracks and on our soapboxes and being and carrying that 90-pound King James Bible to work and wham, you set it on the table, right, on your desk and Don't you dare come in here with that kind of attitude, young man. Because God lives in this office. No. It means we live our lives graciously, gently, sharing the message of God. As God brings people into our lives, as God brings co-workers into your lives, We share that message with everybody as they are ready to hear it. 
in your life. The calling of God in your life. God's calling in your life is always bigger than your lifetime. And we've got to keep this in the forefront of our minds. In other words, this life is just the beginning. Right? This life is just the beginning. Picture this, this stage from extending out to that wall to that wall. Okay? And in, this is eternity past to eternity present. Our life makes up this line <laughs> on the table. God has existed from eternity past. He wasn't a created being like we are. He always was. At some point in his past, he said, I'm going to make a world. I'm going to make some angels. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make people to commune with. Because I want to have a relationship with people. I want to have people who adore me and, and love me, and I want to pe- have people that I could pour out my love and adoration on as well. And we exist right here in a span about that big. And eternity is going to go on for eternity. Right? Never ending. So our lifetime, we, we think this 60 or 80, 90, 100 years that, that we're going to live right now, it is the most important time. But when you look at it in perspective, it's nothing. But we have such a short time, a short opportunity to get to begin to know who God is and to begin to be used by Him to draw mankind to Him and to draw in and become a part of what He wants us to do so we can enjoy Him forever, right? I'm looking forward to eternity. I'm looking forward to getting to know Him. I'm looking forward to all this time. But in the meantime, I'm right here. And He's called me. He says, you can't sit on your laurels. You you can't just sit down and, and, and rest I've got a job for you. You're going to spend the rest of eternity getting to know me and getting to enjoy me and getting to enjoy what I'm preparing for you. But right now, we need to bring as many people as possible with us. He's given us a task to not go it alone. As Jesus was on this earth for three and a half years, He really kind of set the stage and the pattern for us in more ways than one. But in the way we're talking about this morning, we're talking about how Jesus brought others along with him as he went through his life, as he walked through his ministry, as he went through healing and feeding and going on the, on the, on the water and all the stuff they did. He didn't go it alone. He brought others along with him. And we're going to look at a passage here in Luke chapter 8. I know it says John chapter 8 in your bulletin. I screwed up when I sent the notes to Stephanie. Luke chapter 8 this morning. As we see how Jesus brought others along with him, and that made a radical difference in their lives. There are times when he stood up on the mountain, and he preached, and he shared truth, and he taught. He went into the temple, and he threw over tables and he taught and he went into homes and he healed 
and he got around other people and he changed their lives. But the ones that, that he sent out who made the biggest impact are the ones he brought along with him every day. Luke chapter 8. Set the stage here. We're going to start in verse 40. Setting the stage. He's just coming back from a passage that we read a few weeks ago where he went out across the Sea of Galilee and he healed the demon-possessed man in the Gezerines area in the Decapolis there, right? So now he's coming back across the sea to the other side. And we pick that story up here in verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Did you, did, you pick, did you gather that? Did you hear that? When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for what? They were all waiting for him. They had already seen what Jesus had done. They, they'd heard the stories of maybe even what he did across the river, across the sea, rather. We, I don't know how, how long it was for him to get back there exactly. But they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him, come to my house. Now, why the ruler of the synagogue? What is, such, what is the big deal about the ruler of a synagogue? He used to be like, in our minds, oh, he's the pastor of the church. Oh, he's just one of the, he's a, one of the deacons there, right? No. A ruler of the synagogue in that area, that'd be the equivalent to a city council member or the mayor of the city coming up and saying, hey, we need you to come help us with something. Or a state rep, or the governor, coming over and saying, we need your help. Think of, I mean, the disciples here, they've been following him around for a little while now, and finally, Jesus is getting noticed. Finally, Jesus is getting noticed. Finally, we're going to get some stuff done around here, right? Because now, the mayor wants us to help out. Yeah. What does he want? I need you to come to my house. My, my daughter's sick. Twelve years old. And she's dying. Well, of course, of course, Mr. Mayor, we're going to go help. Whatever you need, Mr. Mayor. Yes, sir, we'll, we'll, we'll move right over now. We'll help you. Jesus, come on. You don't understand how important this guy is. We need to go right now. So they start to go. Verse 43, or verse 40, uh, yeah, the end of verse 42 there. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. There's that number again. We'll come back to that. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? It's like when your kids are in, at the dinner table. Stop touching me. Stop touching me. Your elbows are elbow fighting. Jesus is walking along. Someone reaches out, pushing her way through the crowd, and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, uh, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. Verse 46, And Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. 
And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And now she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman, for 12 years, had been suffering with this blood condition. Maybe it was hemophilia. Maybe she just was constantly bleeding from different parts of her body. and Whatever it was, she was unclean, likely an outcast from society. And so when she comes into the crowd, anybody that she touched also became ceremonially unclean. And she reaches out and touches the rabbi. How dare she? Doesn't she know? The rabbi is clean. The rabbi is the man of God. How dare she reach out with her unclean hand and touch the hem of his garment? And the people around like, woman, get away. Oh, woman, don't, don't come close to me. What, what, what are you doing? Go, go, don't come. That's the rabbi. You go home. You go somewhere else. If he wants to heal you, he'll come to you. And yet the Bible says she persists and pushes her way through the crowd to the rabbi. Touches the hem of his garment and is healed. And the Bible says Jesus felt a power go out of him when she got healed. He turns around says, who touched me? Peter's like, uh, Lord, there are people pressed in from all sides. It's a mob going with him to Jairus' house. A mob is going to, to see what you're going to do for the mayor. A mob is going along to hear the words of wisdom that you're going to share. Because now we're finally something. And yet Jesus stopped on his way to that meeting to help this dear lady. Much like he crossed over the Sea of Galilee just to talk to the demon-possessed man. Just like he went through Samaria rather than going around six extra days to avoid Samaria, went to Samaria, stopped at the well, at that well, to meet that woman to have a two-day revival in her town. Jesus stopped and he dealt with this one woman. He says, you're healed. You ever stop and think that God has, that you have no idea how God wants to use us in a person's life? We're focused on what we're going, we're going, we're going. We got the mayor's house we got to go to. We got this job we got to go to. We got this task that we have to accomplish. And somebody over here grabs the hem of your Garment and says, I need help. God brings somebody in our path. It's like, really? I'm, I'm fixed on a much greater task ahead and I got to stop and deal with you? Jesus didn't see that person like we do. Jesus saw her as valuable. Valuable. 
He didn't see her as any less valuable than the mayor, the synagogue leader, just because of her position. He stopped and helped her. For 12 years, she had been praying for God to remove this condition from her. For 12 years, she'd been praying. Could God not have healed her 12 years earlier? Could God not have healed her eight years earlier? Or six years earlier? Or four years? Or or three weeks earlier? Yet God chose this time in her life to let her, to allow her to suffer for 12 years so that he could get the glory in a very visible way. Sometimes we wonder, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, I've been praying this for three weeks now. God, it's been a year and a half, and you still haven't answered the prayer the way I want you to answer it. God, it's been a decade. Are you willing to, like this lady, to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying until God answers that prayer? Not so that you might be free of whatever that might be, because so that he might get the glory in it. We want God to answer our, question, our prayers right now, in our timeline, in our way, shape, and form, right? We want to be in control of how God answers those prayers. We want to be in control of how God works in our lives. We want to be in control. Yeah, it's not about our control, is it? We exist not for us. We exist for our Heavenly Father. We exist to bring glory to His name, first and foremost. We don't come to this church. I I don't stand up here and preach because I want you to go, Oh, Pastor David, he's such a great speaker. He's such a great pastor. No. If I'm doing my job right, you walk out of here going, We serve a great and mighty God, I want to glorify him with everything that I am, with my whole being, with all my strength, with all my power, with all my knowledge, all my wisdom, with all that you have given me, God, I want to glorify you. That's my purpose. And I'm going to enjoy you for all eternity. Twelve years, this woman prayed. And seemingly, God didn't answer her prayers. So that one day, she sees the rabbi walking. She walks up and grabs the hem of his garment. Perhaps, perhaps, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. The faith that came out of that woman. And she reached up and she grabbed it. And God got the glory. Verse 49 says, And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Talking to Jairus. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, 
He allowed no one to enter with him except, now pay attention to this, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, James, and John, and the parents. And all were weeping and mourning at her. And he said, don't weep, for she's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, she, he called to the child, rise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. He just healed this woman. Up comes a servant. Says, Mr. Synagogue leader, I've got some bad news. Your daughter's dead. It's too late. Don't bother the master any longer. Nothing can be done for her. But Jesus says, don't worry, just believe. She will be okay. What's got to be going through Jairus' mind? Just believe? Just believe and she's going to be okay? Just believe? I think my servant knows uh, someone who's got a pulse and someone who doesn't. But I'm going to believe. He makes a choice. They go to the house. And Jesus says, don't worry. She's just sleeping. He takes Peter and James and John, mom and dad, the five of them, accompany him into the room where Tabitha, or some translations call her Dorcas, is laying. And in spite of their lack of faith, he reaches down. And I love this, how the Bible says, her spirit returns. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. They believed. They may not have understood. Jesus said, just believe and it will happen. And even though their faith was not very strong, because he says, there she's sleeping, and they're like, uh, do you think so? Do you see her chest rising and falling? When I put my kids to bed and we come back and check on them later at night to see if they're okay, you can see... You look for that chest rising and falling. Or in my case, they look at me and hear, <laughs> Yep, Dad's asleep. <laughs> He's praying in tongues again. But the little bit of faith they had, he used. Elsewhere in Scripture, we talk about if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you're going to pray for 12 years, consistently praying for 12 years and believing that change is going to take place. Not knowing how God's going to do it, but believing He's going to do something. I know there are some in this room who are hurting, 
I know there are some in this room who are frustrated because things are not going your way. Don't give up on God. You let him accomplish what it is in your life he wants to accomplish in his timing so that he gets the glory as a result. Because it's not about us. He takes these three men in there with him, Peter, James, and John, who he takes on multiple occasions. He says, look, this little 12-year-old girl has just been healed. This woman who was sick for 12 years has now been healed. Do you know that on God's calendar, both those events were planned 12 years earlier? God was not surprised when this woman walked up to him. God was not surprised when Jairus' daughter got sick. God, 12 years earlier, had both of those events already on his calendar. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew what he was going to do, right? And he brings Peter, James, and John along with him. Now, Peter, isn't he the one with the foot-in-the-mouth disease? Why Peter? I mean, if it was up to me, I said, no, not Peter. I'm sorry, you've spoken out one too many times. Just step to the back. Let me pull somebody else in here. The sons of thunder. Yeah, y'all argue one too. You're a little bit, a bit like this. And uh, uh, wanting to have one be on my left, one be on my right. I know what's in your hearts. I know what you want. But yet he chooses to bring these three along with him into the room. He brings these three along with him into the Garden of Gethsemane when he sets, gets alone to pray. He brings them with him a little further. When they go to the temple, who's with him when he's overthrowing tables and he's talking to the Pharisees? These three are right there with him all the time. He brings them along, brings them along. They get to see the most intimate times and get to hear his prayers, and they get to see him at work more than the other nine. Now, who does God radically use later on to change the world? Peter goes out. There's a huge testimony for the cause of Christ. Helps to open up different cultures to the whole to the message of God. John goes out and writes not only the gospel, but first, second, third John and Revelation, becomes instrumental in getting the message of God's word out, faithful in proclaiming the truth. It wouldn't necessarily have been my first choice. But God looks at our hearts. Not necessarily our current idiosyncrasies. Peter, really? He just speaks up way too often. But God saw something in him was special. He saw that God's calling in their life was bigger than their lifetime. As he brought them along to disciple them, to train them, to teach them, to let them participate in the ministry, to let them see him as he worked, he brought them along to 
have them participate 100% in the work that he was doing. I'm sure there were discussions. Jesus, really, do you want to go through Samaria? Yes, come and see what I'm going to do. Really, Jesus, do you, do you, want, to go, you want us to go across the Sea of Galilee? Do you know who those people are over there? They were rejected by our ancestors. They were the ones that Joshua didn't kill. You, you want to go over there? There's weird people over there. Yes, come, let's go. He brings them along to help them to expand their vision, help them see their heart, to help them grow their heart and their vision for ministry. And just like he took them along with him as he did life and ministry, we are to also bring others with us. We are not to go this life alone. We are to use this, mod, this method, this model, as we disciple people. It's not just a class. Discipleship is not a class we go through. Discipleship is not just a 13-week study we do from time to time. Say, so, yes, I've been discipled. As we go, we are to make disciples by bringing people along with us. To let them live life with us. And maybe us go along with somebody else. I remember when I was in high school, I went up to the dean of men at Liberty and I said, would you disciple me? I had no idea what that was. To me, it was like, will you meet with me once a week and we can pray and read the Bible together and just kind of study? I'm glad he knew much more than I about what discipleship was. As he brought me into his office and eventually did our marriage counseling for Regina and I and brought us into his home, and I got to hang out with him and see how he interacted with other students and how he interacted with life. And part of his love for Jesus was poured into me as I was discipled by him. As I was in high school, beginning just for the very beginning of time, just learning what the Word of God was and just not really knowing a whole lot, but knowing that I need to know more. This gentleman at our church said, hey, we're going to have a, a boys' Bible study. Why don't you come and join us? Sure, let's get together and we'll have this boys' Bible study. And we open up the Word of God and I get to see for the very first time, get to understand what it was that God wanted for me. Partly from the Word of God and partly from seeing Jimmy's life as he poured into me and prayed over me and, and incorporated me into heirs, into part of his life. And I didn't even go to his church. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I went to a church across town. But he saw something. Maybe it was my foot and mouth disease. I don't know. He said, come along. Come to our Bible study. Let me pour into you. Let me join. Let me help you see what is possible with you. As we live this life, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Literally, I've mentioned this before, literally, as you go, as you live your life, as you are workshop, eat, play, and living, you are bringing others along with you 
to learn about the Word of God, to learn about the Christian life. You are being intentional. Intentional. Not just, well, God, whoever you bring along. Sometimes that will happen. But sometimes you're there and you see somebody who's just got a spark and you bring them along with you to intentionally reach out and say, would you like to do life with me? Making disciples. Parents, do we bring our kids with us as we go and serve? Or are they relegated to the other room? Because this is the adult room, and that's the kids' room, right? Who have we been given responsibility for as parents and grandparents, but our kids and grandkids to raise them and to give them, help them understand how much God loves them? to raise up that next generation as we are serving, as we're ministering, as we're going to Bible studies, drag them along with you. But they're going to be bored at the Bible study. Bring them along. Let them see you pray. Let them see the passion in your heart for God's Word. As you're serving, bring them along with you. Do you serve in a ministry? Invite somebody else to come and join you. Somebody else who's just sitting around and looking for something to do. Invite them to come join you in a ministry. I've got a passion for the homeless. and I'm working down the homeless center. Great. Bring somebody along with you. I, I like to work on the soundboard. Great. Bring somebody along with you and train them how to work that soundboard. I, I like to do work music. Great. Bring somebody along with you who knows how to work to do music. Work music. I love doing landscaping. Great. Invite others along with you who like to do landscaping and get to pour into their lives as you're ministering to them. I'm working in children's church. There's like two kids in there. Great. Bring somebody along with you to train them up so they can help to work in children's church as well. And you're discipling them. You're training them. Friends and family, bring them with you to church so they can see you live out your faith. Wouldn't it be great in our community as we made contact with folks in our community that they became involved in different areas of our ministries before they ever got engaged here because we're pouring into their lives and we're making disciples and we're pouring, speaking Jesus' words into them and we're loving on them and letting them see Jesus in us, and we're bringing them along. And then all of a sudden one day they go, whoa, I need what you got. I need what you got. A sad statistic is this. The studies have shown that the average churchgoer in America brings an average of zero lost people with them to church in a given year. The number is so low they had to round it down to zero. When's the last time that you just asked somebody, passed out a card and said, hey, would you like you to come to church with me? When's the last time that you walked up to one of your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, somebody that you run into where you workshop, eat, play, and live, and you say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. Or maybe I'll go to church with you someplace. Maybe you live too far away from my church. Let's go to church close by your house. 
Let's get you involved. And you let God begin that process with you and somebody else to begin discipling them. Maybe you're thinking when that person you want to bring, well, you don't know the problems they got. (laughs) You don't know what kind of life they live. You know, there's two possible outcomes. When they come, you'll be right. When they come, you'll be wrong. If they come and they got problems, great. We like people with problems. There's a whole bunch of people out here who sit with problems. So by standing up here with problems. But just maybe you're wrong about them. And yes, they do have problems, but God's going to radically transform them and He's going to do a great work in their lives. What if people told Jesus, that Peter guy, you wouldn't believe the temper he's got. You wouldn't believe. You are in for a heap of trouble with that man. And Jesus said, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I'll go on down and go down the beach to the next guy. But Jesus did a radical thing in his life. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, whose translated means Dorcas. I'm sorry, that was, yeah, I messed that up earlier. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. So Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men with him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So when Peter rose up, he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the windows, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and outer garments that Dorcas had made when she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and prayed and turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, raised her up, calling the saints and widows. He presented her to, them to her alive. And it became known to all throughout Joppa that and many believed in the Lord. Where did Peter first come to understand that the ability for the followers of Jesus to raise the dead was possible? Uh, maybe following Jesus into that upper room with the other Tabitha years earlier. Maybe going along with Jesus and seeing all the miracles he performed, his faith grew. He learned how to keep his foot out of his mouth. He learned how to love on people who were different. He learned how to not see people for their power and their position, but to see them as God saw them. He's able to set aside that Samaritan and say, this Samaritan, the one that God loves, and set aside this idea that those demon-possessed Gentiles, to then he says, let me go into the house of Cornelius and share with you the love of Jesus and see Holy Spirit come down on their hearts and their lives. Maybe it was because it was three and a half years of living and working and walking and eating with Jesus that is, he was transformed and discipled into something that was so radically different because Jesus chose to bring him along. Who is it that God has got in store for you? Who is it that God has set aside to for you to bring along into your life 
to begin discipling. Now, I don't mean they got to live with you for three and a half years. I know you're going, But I'm saying, are you willing to allow somebody into your life to get intentional with somebody and to get vulnerable with somebody that God wants you to bring in so that you can begin to learn from each other? That you don't, don't even view it as a master-teacher, master-student type relationship. You're just bringing somebody along and saying, I want to spend time on you. I want to spend time with you and impart and, and, and learn and pray together with you and so we can grow together in the Christ. And we'll see God do an awesome thing. Are you willing to get that vulnerable with somebody? To allow God to use you to make a difference in this world. We've been talking about the mission of God. And no mission is greater than God's mission. And that's what we are called to participate in. See, the ripples of our lives, just like the ripples in the water. We talk to one person, you impact one person, when Jimmy brought me into his Bible study, he had no idea that we were going to go overseas for 20 years. He had no idea what God was going to do in my life. He said, let me just love on you like Jesus loved on me. And those ripples go out, 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 out into all of eternity. Are we willing to allow God to use us that way? Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. As we are sitting here this morning, I'm going to ask you to commit. And by a show of hands, you'd say, Pastor, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to allowing myself to be used in the mission of God to disciple others, to be used by you in whatever way, whatever capacity you need me to be used in, wherever I workshop, eat, play, and live, God, I want to be used by you. My answer today is yes. Would you lift up your hand this morning? Thank you, thank you. All over the room, thank you, thank you. I want God to be used in my life this morning. God, you saw the hands that were raised. Those that are committing their lives this morning to an even deeper walk with you, to saying, God, whoever you bring in my life, I want to be used. That I'm going to allow you, God, to work in and through me to reach this world. That I'm going to participate in the mission of God to reach my community, wherever I work, wherever I eat, wherever I shop, wherever I live, wherever I play. My God, those areas, you've got people ready and waiting. So I'm going to come along and join in that mission and pray and pray, God, you'll use us to make such an impact in this world. That the Jairuses of this world will come and find out what we're doing. And we can turn around and say, God, and turn around and say, it's all for the glory of God. We're not doing it to draw attention to ourselves. We do it to draw attention to God.
We're about lifting up your name and glorifying you and bringing others along who can do the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.